Tonight's Garden of Amuna class, the title that went out in the invite is Jacob's Request for Tranquility. Where does it come from? It comes from the very first Rashi. In this week's Torah portion, called Vayeshev, what does it mean by Yeshev Yaakov? And Yaakov settled. And Rashi says, Bikesh Yaakov Leshev Bishalva. Yaakov finally wanted tranquility in his life. Now, if we look at what kind of life Yaakov had, it can make sense. Yaakov Avinu, at a very young age, has to have problems with his twin brother. He has to run away from home, disappears, spends over there many, many years, 14 years he spends in yeshiva, 22 years he spends in his father-in-law's house. With his father-in-law, he's got troubles. He was tricked into a marriage. And then when he finally does get the right marriage, and then his father-in-law is driving him crazy. He can't uh, stick to one agreement, everything that works in Jacob's favor. Finally, he switches and switches. Then when he's coming back, he finds out that his brother Esau is coming to kill him. And then on his way back, he also has to deal with his daughter got raped, Dina, and it just isn't stopping. And now, finally, oh, it gets worse, right? It uh, doesn't end yet. On the way back, he's almost home. He finds out that his mother passed away. He'll never get to see his mother. His wife passed away in childbirth. Rachel passes away. I mean, look what's happening, one after another, after another, after another. And now that he's settled and everything's fine, he's back home with his father, he finally, all he wants is, Bikesh Yaakov, Leisha Bishalva, please let me sit in peace. But Rashi says God's response to that. God's response wasn't very favorable. What? You want peace? You want to settle? Tzadikim ain't lehem menuchas. Tzadikim have no peace. Not in this world and not in the world to come. There has to be consistent growth. We can't settle in tranquility. We got to keep on growing. Not just in this world, but in the world to come. From one level to another level. We're taught that three times a day, there are the three prayers uh, of the day in uh, the Garden of Eden. After 120, each prayer takes the soul to a higher level. So three times a day, they're growing from one level to the next level. So there is no peace. And what happens? Rashi tells us that immediately when he wanted to have peace, boom, Joseph is going to be taken away from him. Joseph is going to be sold by his brothers. So it seems to be that Rashi is telling us Hashem's response was that he didn't find Jacob's request for tranquility to be all that great. Now, we can learn simple pshat. We can just learn simple understanding. It seems to be that Jacob is requesting to go into retirement. Hashem says, uh-uh, there's no retirement. Not in this world and not in the world to come. There's work to be done. Especially when you have the Kabbalistic insight that's explained the Hasidus to each one of these stories. The issue he has with Esau, the issue he has with Lavan, meeting again with Esau. This is all huge stuff going on. Jacob is serving God, dealing with sparks, very powerful sparks. There's actually a teaching, a mimer, which talks about the sparks that Jacob had with the 400 soldiers that comes from the 400 coins that Abraham paid for the gravesite of his wife, later to be his gravesite, Jacob and uh, uh, Isaac and Rivka and Yaakov and Leah's gravesite, those 400 coins turn into the 400 soldiers that Jacob, that Jacob has to face with Esau 
which later turns into the 400 levels of love that every single tzaddik has. But these are sparks going on here. And actually, the Mayimra finishes with a little footnote. Please do not try this at home. Because those type of sparks, dealing with those type of sparks, isn't for everyone. You can very quickly, rather than conquer the sparks, free them and elevate them, you can get schlepped down into it. We're not talking about simple sparks. So Jacob's, what we would call struggles in life, wasn't just struggles. It's not like, oh my God, what does God want from that man? No, God was bringing to him, albeit in, in difficult ways because he was dealing with just high sparks, but they were all his service. So we can learn simple pshat. <laughs> Yaakov's letting Hashem know, uh, you know, <laughs> I'd like to go into retirement. You know, I, I paid my dues. You know, here I have to deal with the great Lavan and the great Esav and all the other stuff that's going on, and I'd like to retire. And Hashem says, uh-uh, you're not done yet. There's stuff to be taken care of. And a tzaddik never gets to retire. That would be simple pshat. But then there's a fabrengan that I personally heard from the Rebbe. The Rebbe said this. The Rebbe says as follows. I, I actually, and it wasn't like the Rebbe gave a whole explanation. And as the Rebbe was going into his talk, he mentions this one line. And it always stuck with me. And this year, that's what tonight's class is all about. The Rebbe said, Bikish Yaakov Leshe Jacob wanted, desired, requested to be able to have tranquility, to live in peace. Simple story tells us he didn't get what he wants. But the Rebbe, by that bringing, going into his talk, said, and if Yaakov requested it, definitely Yaakov received and was able to accomplish that which he requested. In Yiddish, the Rebbe is saying, he, he obviously achieved that which he set to achieve. And if Yaakov set himself to achieve that now he wants to have tranquility in his life, what the Rebbe is saying by Nafa bringing is that he obviously achieved it. A tzaddik puts his mind to something and wants it. Hashem responds. And this is really, in a sense, no chiddush from the Rebbe. Because the Talmud tells us over and over, a tzaddik decrees, a righteous man decrees, and God listens. Not only that, if Hashem decrees, a tzaddik can nullify Hashem's decree. It's a statement from our sages. So in a certain sense, it's not a chidush. It's not something that the Rebbe is saying that was unheard of. If Jacob made that prayer, his prayer gets answered. A tzaddik's prayer gets answered. The problem is that even though it's a beautiful insight, how do you continue with the story? And as the Rebbe used that, at least the way I understood it when I was standing there listening to the Rebbe talk, the Rebbe used it as a one-liner. But the Rebbe didn't follow up with saying that Jacob achieved inner peace and he achieved tranquility and there was no more struggle. No, how do you continue the story? And, J and Joseph is sent to see how his brothers are doing. They sell him. They wanted to kill him. Reuben convinces don't kill him, throw him into the ditch. He's thinking to come back and save him. Judah doesn't like that he stays in the ditch. He's going to die here. What's the difference if we kill him or we, we put him in a ditch and he has to die? So let's sell him. Reuben comes back and goes ballistic. I'm the firstborn. Dad's going to let out everything on me. It's my responsibility. And all of a sudden, Jacob's life is destroyed. Jacob's life is completely destroyed. He was in mourning. Our sages tell us for all the years that he was in mourning, 
not only was he physically destroyed, emotionally destroyed, and mentally destroyed, he was spiritually destroyed because we know divine prophecy does not rest in melancholy and depression. That's why we're taught that the prophets would always have harps and musicians to bring on joy because the divine presence doesn't rest in depression. So not only did this story destroy Jacob on a, on a physical level, on an emotional level, on an intellectual level, even on a spiritual level, he's broken, he doesn't stop crying. Not only that, the Talmud tells us that Hashem made three deals, that if he wouldn't have made those deals, it would have only been right that he should have made those deals. One of them that we're going to discuss for tonight is he made a deal that when a person dies, the mourners, his family, should slowly but surely, as they say, time should heal. But because that blessing that God gave in mourning is only for the dead, so that blessing did not apply to Jacob because he only thought Joseph was dead. Joseph wasn't dead. So that normal process that God blessed the human race, that as time goes by, you slowly but surely stop mourning and redefine your connection with the family member that passed away didn't work for, Joseph, for Jacob. Jacob couldn't redefine his relationship with Joseph because Joseph wasn't dead. The blessing wasn't there. So he's mourning the entire time, over two decades, he's mourning. Now it's interesting. I was met with a lawyer once. And uh, he shared with me a case that he had, a very interesting case. It was a case with an insurance case because it was an accident. And his client had a certain sickness that the nervous system wouldn't move things into the past. So imagine, imagine, God forbid, you have an accident and your body isn't letting, letting it slip into the past, you know, recesses of the mind. So you keep on feeling like you just had the accident, you just had the accident, you just had the accident. And he was, and the insurance was saying, we're not responsible for that. We cover only normal situations. It's an abnormal situation. I mean, what happened with that case isn't important. But now picture what J Jacob's going through. Because the blessing of allowing the pain of death of a family member to slowly but surely heal, be redefined, wasn't taking place. So every morning, Jacob woke up to the fresh new pain of just losing his son. So what exactly is the Rebbe talking about? When the Rebbe just says by the Febrenian, again, I told you I was there. The Rebbe didn't give a whole talk about it. It was like a one-liner leading into. And the Rebbe says there that if Jacob requested and set himself to pray to achieve that he should have tranquility, he achieved it. Because a tzaddik says to do something, it's achieved. But how do we continue the story? The Rebbe didn't explain it. But tonight's class, I'm trying to share with you a thought. And again, most of my classes are things that I directly learned, things that were taught in Chassidus, and I'm just repeating it to you. I do need to tell you that tonight's class isn't something that I read somewhere. I was just kept on thinking about this line from the Rebbe that I actually heard. I myself was standing there trying to understand what this means. What I'm going to share with you is that there's, it's interesting. There are people, I was telling someone today, because I was preparing the class again, going over it, getting ready to deliver it. I was telling someone, isn't it amazing? There are some people that have 
everything the entire three course meal the side dishes everything there beautiful three quarter inch ribeye steak medium rare everything is gorgeous but the ketchup is missing and they're distraught they just can't get past it ketchup is missing whoever heard of eating the steak without a ketchup especially steak fries i mean <laughs> i mean what what are we doing here and their entire dinner has been destroyed then you meet rare beautiful souls that all they have is ketchup nothing else and there's a whole joy to life which seems to tell us that tranquility or the lack thereof has nothing what to do with the facts but the personality and the paradigm there are those who have everything and have no tranquility there are those who have nothing but no a drop and they have all the tranquility and joy in life let's go back to an interesting sentence from a week prior Esau and Jacob are both expressing that they live in abundance Jacob's trying to give Esau a huge gift an entire farm load of animal gift and Esau saying I don't need it I live in abundance Yeshli Rav I have a lot Esau is saying uh, I'm sorry Jacob is saying please accept this from me because Yeshli Kol I have everything when I was in New York and my cousin today's rabbi in Western was engaged his father-in-law-to-be which is a humongous Hasid one of the greatest rabbis in the Mashpian in Israel by the name of Zalman Gutten Rabbi Zalman Gutten he came for that high high those the holiday season and um, <laughs> I'm not talking about December I'm talking about Tishrei he came for Sukkot because his daughter got engaged and he came and he hasn't been by the Rebbe by Simchas Torah for years and years and years this happened in 1991 when he came to my uncle's house you know to make Kiddush and the family and everything so trying to keep up kick up conversation with him I asked him Nurek Zalman did you see he turned around to me he was already in a different dimension of reality shall we say with Simchas Torah and he tells me Avrumi tells me in Yiddish I'll just say it in English I saw everything that I have to see there was nothing that I was supposed to see that I missed you understand the difference between Esau and Jacob the Esau mentality is jumping all around 770 to catch everything and all you have at the end is a total split you know pieces of a puzzle and then there are those who don't do that because they're not stuck with pieces of a puzzle <laughs> you know huge puzzle 5,000 pieces they have a whole bunch of pieces in the box they made sure to see everything but then there are those who don't have that they have everything not they have a lot they have everything everything I was supposed to see I saw the difference between the two is the first thing I want to share with you tonight about tranquility people who live their life to have a lot will never have tranquility 
People who live their lives to have everything, as in everything that I need, I have, they find tranquility. So already in last week's Torah portion, we already see the difference of Jacob's approach and Esau's approach. Esau's approach will never lead to tranquility. The more you have, the more you want, the more you're worried about, the more you're concerned that no one should take anything from you. That's what happens when you have a lot. But when you live the life of having everything, everything I need, I have, that's a total different life and that leads very quickly to tranquility. And even though I'm working now, I'm making my second million, but I'm tranquil with the first million. Yes, I'm still working to have a second million because every day we're alive, we need to keep on growing. In lehem menucha. So that's one perspective of the tranquility approach. But that happened already last week. That was not what Jacob's talking about here. Because Jacob's today talking about his request to achieve tranquility past that story of I have a lot, I have everything. So what can we say is Jacob's tranquility of this week's Torah portion? Especially when we know the rest of the story. It doesn't seem to be forthcoming. And yet the Rebbe clearly says, if he set his mind to it, he achieved it, God gave it to him, it is forthcoming. What I'd like to suggest tonight is, again following the same theme of the paradigm. There's a story of a chassid. It's a true story that happened one of the great chassidim in Russia when finally the KGB caught up with him. This is a man who worked day in and day out for the underground school system of Chabad, which was criminal as can be. They knew of him, KGB at the end of the day knew of everyone, and they were hunting him down. And there was many students like that. They didn't get to see the light of day for huge periods of time because they were in, in locked away in certain places that they shouldn't be caught. This chassid they caught. Amongst many, but this chassid they caught. As they caught him, he gave a sigh of relief. The agent that caught him said, now you're giving a sigh of relief? Your troubles are first starting. And he answered, no, officer, you don't understand. The running is over. The KGB officer was right. His troubles were first starting. Torture, or whatever it's going to be. But there was a sigh of relief. The running is over. You see, going back to what I said before, the difference of tranquility or the lack of tranquility isn't in the facts. It's within how you're going to receive the facts and how you're going to live with the facts. That's what the difference is. Let's take an interesting example. The Talmud tells us that Jacob was going to go down to Egypt because God already told Abraham that your grandchildren will be slaves in a land not theirs, and then in the fourth generation I shall return them here. The Talmud says that that was a given fact. Jacob was going to Egypt. End the story. But then the Talmud says it could have happened in one of two ways. It could have happened that he's going down in shackles, or it could happen as he's going down as the viceroy of Egypt's father. Now, 
usually when we talk about that Talmud, we talk about freedom of choice of not what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. I'm not getting into the freedom of choice issue right now. I want to lend, I want to borrow, I'm sorry, I want to borrow this story for what we're talking about now, this teaching. What's going to happen in life is going to happen. How you choose to accept it and deal with it will define whether you live in tranquility or not. You and I have seen humongous weddings which must cost 100000 and up. And the dance over there is, everyone's dancing, very afraid not to rip their clothes, not to put a crease in their fancy new Gucci schmoochy stuff. And then you have a wedding, a buffet, nice, simple wedding, and everyone there is dancing as it's a family simcha. It's not about the facts. It's about the perception and the reaction. You can have everything you want, be a multi-zillionaire, and your kid won't even be able to go to school without who knows how many bodyguards, and you've already been threatened by your enemies that your kid's going to be kidnapped, God forbid, on the way back from school if you don't. And everyone's worried. Is my kid going to be held for ransom? And in all the luxury that you live in, one day you wake up and you realize, I'm in prison. And then you can be living a simple life where child number two is wearing the hand-me-downs from child number one, and there's freedom, and there's tranquility, and there's happiness. Bikesh Yaakov Leishev Bishalva, Jacob's request and prayer that I want to live in tranquility is not about whether his son will be sold into slavery or not, because that was going to happen. Rather, how he will deal with it, how he will react to it, how he will respond to it, that makes the difference whether he lives in tranquility or not. I was once uh, at a board retreat where they were training us on board issues and interesting they shared with us the following following um, experiment everyone was given a cup of water they, on each table they had this little vase of water a dropper and a colored liquid and you have to use the dropper to suck up the colored liquid and drop it into the bowl of water and everyone in each group had to sit down and write the entire what happened. And each one's writing and writing and writing. And the point is to get to the, the major topic that the facilitator wanted to discuss was that when you drop the drop into the water, the water ripples. And that led into the workshop of why does water ripple when something is dropped into it. And I'm not going to work you through the whole workshop now, but basically it boils down to it could be one of three factors that are involved with the process. The person who's doing it, the, let's say instead of using drops, the rock that's being thrown into the water, or the water. Those are the three components of this entire experiment. Person, rock, water. And you have to test each one. It can't, it's not the person because if the person's not there or the person's in a different situation, it wouldn't happen. 
it can be the rock because if you threw the rock on this wood floor, the wood floor wouldn't ripple. So at the end of the day, we must say that what causes the rippling in the water is nothing more than the water, which leads you to what he's trying to explain. The reason why water ripples when a rock is thrown into the water is because it's the nature of water to ripple as a reaction to something being thrown into it. And from there, you have a whole new paradigm in life. Because if someone is getting on your nerves, your first reaction is, it's that person. He's the only one. When I'm with my other friends, I don't get this way. But when I'm with that person, this guy just gets my feathers. He, ju he just makes me ripple. But that's not true. Because that very same person has another friend who doesn't ripple. And slowly but surely, you teach yourself that you are the water. And the reason why you're reacting because the way you're reacting is because it is your nature as of today to react this way to when rocks are being thrown into your pond. By acknowledging this, you now are in power to change that fact. But if it was the rock or the person throwing the rock, then you, the water, have no control whether to ripple or not to ripple. But if you realize that it is the water's nature to ripple when something is thrown into it, then it's now within the water's power to change that reaction. This is what we're talking about tonight. The request to live in tranquility has nothing what to do with the events that are going to take place within your life. It is, as they say in Yiddish, a feste bashlus. It is an absolute resolution that my water will not ripple as a reaction to people throwing rocks into my pond. And all of a sudden, the same scenario that would push your buttons, no more push your buttons, not because that person stopped pushing, but because you stopped reacting. So Bikesh Yaakov Leishev Bishalva has nothing what to do whether Yosef will or will not be sold. As Rashi itself says, and Joseph was sent from the depths of Hebron. Hebron is not a valley. But the depths of Hebron means Abraham that was buried in Hebron because God already made that oath. Jacob's prayer would not change that oath. Not only would Jacob's prayer not change that oath, Jacob would not pray for that oath to be changed because until Joseph is sold, until the Jews go to Egypt, they can't go to Mount Sinai, and until they go to Mount Sinai, they can't go to Israel. So Jacob wouldn't even have prayed that this shouldn't happen. So obviously his prayer is not about whether Joseph should or should not. He wasn't praying about the person, he wasn't, paying a he wasn't praying about the rock. He was praying about himself, the pond of water. And now the Rebbe's statement, to me at least, I'm not saying this is what the Rebbe meant, but to me now the statement makes sense and it carries the most pertinent message for you and I in our struggles of faith. You see, our faith issues usually are dealing and struggling and strengthening itself by the facts of what happens in our life. So if I pray and something good happens, ah, you see, I believe in prayer. 
You see, I believe in God's goodness. But if I pray and something doesn't go the way I want, or life isn't a bowl of cherries, then our faith begins to fade. Because our faith, unfortunately, is focused on the what, rather on what Jacob's prayer was. Jacob wasn't praying for what events would take place in his life. He was praying for the way he would react to what takes place in his life. When it came to Lavan, when it came to Esau, Jacob was in aggressive combat. Aggressive combat and tranquility doesn't really work well. And in truth be said, even aggressive combat could be done within tranquility. With your own inner tranquility. You read the notes of the, the you have beautiful writings that they have found from Abraham Lincoln in the time of the war. You do not see a person out of his box of tranquility. And we're talking about personal logs. We're not talking about things that he wrote. He seemed to always be dealing with the greatest crisis in the time of the Civil War from a place of very, very deep tranquility. And things were not looking pretty for him in the Civil War. So if we now talk about faith, not in what happens, but in how I react to what happens. If we talk about faith, not changing whether this will or will not be, but changing what it will do to me when it happens. There's a very different prayer of asking God, don't let anything bad ever happen to me. Don't let me have any struggles in my life. Let everything be smooth sailing. Or there's a prayer, God, give me the strength to deal with everything that you put on my plate. And not only to deal with it, but to deal with it within tranquility and from my place of tranquility. I'm asking you, God, that whatever has to happen in my life for the journey and destiny and accomplishments that I need to do in building the universal holy temple to bring Mashiach, whatever that is, and it's going to be issues, we're dealing this is not yet Mashiach time. We're now in the time of bringing it, making it happen. There's combat going on here. There's issues in the world. We're still smack in the middle of tikkun. Tikkun doesn't happen with sweet talk. Tikkun happens with rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. Dealing with the tikkun of my own inside, my own struggle, my own emotions going crazy, my own paradigms, my own relationships. And then from there, taking it out to the world. We're not yet in a place of peace, quite obvious. But that doesn't mean that we're not in a place of tranquility. It doesn't mean why should I pray to God if it's meant to happen anyway and it's going to happen, then why pray to God? Jacob wasn't praying to God about what's going to happen. Jacob was praying to God about how he's going to deal with what's happening a total different reality. And what I'd like to suggest today is that that is a very powerful understanding of faith, strengthening faith, and praying with faith. It's an amazing experience when instead of asking God 
what should happen, how it should happen. We're actually praying to give me the strength to deal with whatever is meant to happen and give me the strength to deal with it in a place of tranquility. God, give me the strength that my pond should stop going into chaotic ripples every time throw someone throws a, pe a pebble in it. Some people, you throw down a ton of cinder blocks and they don't ripple. Some people, you throw a little pebble and they're rippling and there's tidal waves going on. Thick as Yaakov, Leishev, Leshalva. And that we're now we're dealing with a ton of bricks. Your son, the apple of your eye, the one you gave the Technicolor coat. Joseph is about to be taken away from you. For over two decades, you're not going to see him. You're going to mourn for him. And yet, Jacob received what he wanted. He received tranquility. Does it mean he wasn't mourning? Of course it was. I told you, he didn't have divine prophecy for all these years. Does it mean he wasn't hurting? Of course he was hurting. Come on, guys. His kid was disappeared. He thought he was dead. But does it mean that he lost tranquility? No. He didn't lose his tranquility. And that's what the Rebbe, I believe, was saying. And that's what bring him. Jacob achieved what he was looking for. A different, a different twist on faith. We need to strengthen our faith that everything that happens to us, we have the strength to deal with it. And not only do we have the strength to deal with it, we have the strength to deal with it with tranquility. That's a total different prayer of faith, a total different experience of faith, and a total different paradigm of faith. So people, for tonight, Jacob prayed for tranquility. And things got very rough after that. And yet he was tranquil. We can do it in our life too. Let's stop talking about what's happening and what God's doing. Let's focus on that God gives us the strength to deal with everything that we have to go through to reach our potential and our destiny and our purpose in life. And not only do we have the strength to deal with it, but if we wish to once and for all calm down the waters of our pond, we can. We can have faith and deal with life in tranquility. Shukriya.